Hey there, welcome to the Next Level Nutrition Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Long, business coach for nutritionists. I help nutritionists just like you create and launch their business and sign their first high paying client. In this podcast, you'll learn practical strategies to start and grow your nutrition business that you can implement right away. You'll also hear from a ton of guests who have started their own thriving nutrition businesses and share what they've learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Next Level Nutrition Biz podcast. I'm really excited today. I have Jennifer from Pursuing Private Practice here to talk all about how to nurture your ideal clients. And we're going to talk about marketing and the funnel with marketing and the customer journey that you're going to go on with your client, you know, going from maybe somebody that's cold and doesn't really know much about your business to a warmer lead, somebody that's ready to work with you and then the steps to take from there. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jennifer to begin with. So Jennifer McGurk is a registered dietitian nutritionist who is on a mission to empower dietitian business owners to make an impact in this world. She started her first business, Eat With Knowledge, as a solopreneur specializing in uh, eating disorder counseling. Eat With Knowledge has since evolved into a group private practice with a team of dietitians that help clients feel fabulous about food. Jennifer started pursuing private practice in 2016 to serve other dietitians. And as a CEO of Pursuing Private Practice, she leads an entire team that is just as passionate about encouraging non-diet dietitian business owners to take up space after their business goals and going after their business goals. The company offers Beginner Basics, a course about setting up a business and dietitian business school, a membership program to support dietitians with business education, supervision, and accountability throughout the very stages of building a business. She is also the host of Pursuing Private Practice podcast, where she shares the ups and downs of growing a business and features guests that share their own journeys. And you can find her and her business at pursuingprivatepractice.com. What a bio. Thank you for being here. You're so, so accomplished. And I'm so excited to have you on. So thanks so much for being here, Jennifer. Thank you, Stephanie. I know sometimes when people read your bio, do you feel like you're having a little bit of an out-of-body experience? (laughs) Oh, I actually did all of that. Absolutely. When it's all packaged up like that. It's like, okay, I'm quite accomplished. So, which you are, and you have so much experience. And and I would love for you to just share starting out, you know, how did you get into this work? What has your journey been to get to where you are today in your business? Yes. Well, if you start from the very beginning, I actually had an eating disorder in high school and college. And I, I share that with other people, not to put the attention back on me, but because I actually really appreciate sharing the fact that I am recovered because so many people keep things secretive and it just you know, increases the shame cycle. I actually don't mind telling my story a little bit and talking about the fact that like I am recovered from an eating disorder just because I want people to know that recovery is possible, but that's how I got into becoming a dietitian through a lot of, you know, journeys of ups and downs there. But I found eating disorder recovery at the same time that I found intuitive eating as a professional. And it really shaped my entire professional journey. Like I am so thankful for finding intuitive eating, health at every size, the body positive movement, because it really not only helped me personally with my own relationship with food, but literally set forth the path for me professionally to be able to spread this message to other people in a big way through my professional work. Mm-hmm. And then how did you kind of shift over to helping other dietitians with their practice? Was that something just natural that happened or has that always been a passion of yours as well? 
Yeah. Well, I like to say I started before I was ready, which is something that I'm sure you hear all the time too, but it was just after I had my first son and this was back in 2014, I went on maternity leave from my own private practice at the time. I think I I was seeing maybe like 25 appointments a week. I was really, really, really busy. And I left my practice. I hired an associate to see some of the clients and I came back to a schedule that was really light for me. And I thought like, what am I going to do with this time? And as a new mom, I was also having an identity crisis at the time. (laughs) I will fully admit. And I was like, what am, what am I doing with this career? What am I doing with my life? You know? And I said to myself, like, what would you tell your son if he really wanted to do something that he was scared to do? And I remember saying to myself, like, you have to go for it. So at that time, I really wanted to work with professionals. I wanted to do more business education, business coaching, business supervision, but I just didn't think that I was ready enough because I was only 30 years old at the time. But I said to myself, I'm going to start perform ready. I'm going to see how this goes. I can always pivot if I need to. And I literally just started pursuing private practice and it started out as a book series. I did a couple workshops on the side with other dietitians. Don't write a book to kick off a brand. <laughs> if I could. Good advice. You're going to spend, you're going to spend thousands of dollars and a year of your life writing. At least I did, um, for not a whole lot of money, but it kicked off the brand pursuing private practice, which then evolved into a course evolved into more of like an accidental group coaching program. And now is actually a company all on its own. So over the course of the past six years, pursuing private practice really has pivoted in a ton of different ways to get to where we are right now. But I'm just so thankful that I literally took that first step of I'm going to start before I'm ready. Yeah. I love that advice. And I love that you did that. And sometimes there's that calling that's there. And I love Mm -hmm. that you listen to it versus I'm sure it would have come back at some point if you didn't address it, you know, was that back in 2016? So you've been doing this work now for about six years, I guess. Yeah. The, the business coaching yeah. stuff. I've been a dietitian since 2007. Yes. Um, and I like to say I've been like, I've been a non-diet dietitian since maybe 2010 or 11. Mm-hmm. I opened up my private practice in 2011 and then the pursuing private practice part really did kick off in 2016. Yeah. And for those that might not be aware of like, what does non-diet mean? I have had some people on to talk about that, but if they're a new listener or maybe they're interested in learning more, like what would you really say is like the difference between being like non-diet versus maybe like diet? Yes. Like weight centric. Yes, absolutely. That's such, that's such a good question. And I will say non-diet to me is really an umbrella term that does mean weight inclusive, does mean intuitive eating, does mean health at every size, does mean, you know, body liberation type of work. But all of those things that I just named also have their own philosophies within a non-diet approach. So there are different people that have definitely trademarked and created frameworks around each of those philosophies, but I say non-diet meaning weight inclusive. So I will never, or I should say, like, I don't believe in putting people on diets. I really think that, you know, when you look at diet culture, it dates back so far in our society to literally patriarchy and so many different things that we you know, especially as women have gone through historically to be literally put in a box. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a non-diet approach is reclaiming some of our power, reclaiming the fact that we can have a healthy relationship with food, reclaiming body liberation. And I just love all the different philosophies that encompass a non-diet approach. And sometimes, especially in my work with clients, like I might pull from one different philosophy a little bit more than another, depending on where the client is coming from in the moment. 
And, you know, there's different parts of activism work within each one of those philosophies that I just Mm -hmm. named too. And sometimes I feel like people are meant to be like, out there activists. And some people are meant to be like in counseling session activists, if that makes sense, but there's room for everybody in this space. And I feel like the more people involved in different ways in a non-diet approach really do make our work stronger. And I think it also just makes nutrition accessible for everybody, which it should be right. We shouldn't be saying that this type of person deserves, you know, nutrition support and this other person does not. So I love this approach because I think it's just treating people as people and, you know, making sure everybody has a fair chance at getting support. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I mean, if you are a weight centric dietitian, meaning that you're practicing as a weight loss dietitian, get curious with how that works for the majority of people, because I'm not here to shame people for practicing a certain way. But when I was a weight centric dietitian, as I was, when I first started, I was so frustrated because it didn't work for 95% of the clients that were coming to me. And I just was remember feeling like, what am I even doing as a dietitian? Like, this is not helping people. Like, all I want to do is make people happy, healthy, you know, whatever that means to them. And it just was not working. And at the same exact time I found intuitive eating and I was like, Oh, there's no research that says a weight centric diet really does work for the majority of people. Like there's actually research that says people gain the weight back after two years. Plus like there's no long-term studies that say weight loss works like, Oh my gosh. And I just remember getting into this area and Evelyn Triboli describes it so perfectly as like cognitive dissonance where it's like, I know what I know, but then there's this whole new world out there. And I don't know how to combine the two, if they can Mm. even be combined. And then I remember going through like a year or two of just learning about intuitive eating, learning about a weight, weight centric versus weight inclusive approach and saying, Oh, I want to be on the weight inclusive side. Mm. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to like shame weight loss people, weight loss dietitians. But if you are frustrated about your work as a weight loss dietitian, like learn about intuitive eating, learn about health at every size, because there's this whole world out there that really does support people with their health, if that's what you choose to do. So as a dietitian, you know, there's this whole new world out there that really does help people really live their best life possible and have an awesome relationship with food. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that was a really great explanation for those that maybe (laughs) have like been curious or maybe are running their practice one way and are curious about a different approach. So thank you so much for sharing that. And it's funny when you said kind of that idea of like, um, there's one way of doing things and how do you like bring in this other mode of doing things. Um, I'm trying to like make a stretch here to where we're going in the conversation. It kind of does remind me of like going to school for nutrition, but then like now all of a sudden figuring out you have to be a business owner and a marketer and not knowing that that's part of it and being like, how do I like do what I'm really good at, but then bring in this other knowledge as well and kind of like marry them together. So I would love to to kind of just get your, get started on like how to nurture ideal clients. Like what does this mean? What is the process? How do we market our business. So we're actually working with clients at the end of the day. Absolutely. I, I love your transitions. <laughs> it's so good. It's so I'm trying good. my best. <laughs> no, it is so good. I think, so obviously when you were a dietitian, a lot of people want to be a private practice business owner, want to go into business for themselves, or even just want to do something on the side with you know, private practice too. And we are not taught this in school. You are absolutely right. Like we have no idea what we're doing and we just want to do a good job with our clients. And we just don't know how to run the business side of things. So 
I think what we were talking about before in terms of nurturing your ideal client, there are so many different ways to nurture your ideal client. And it depends not only on your ideal client and who they are, where they're hanging out for their information, who they're looking to for support, but also depends on you as the business owner, what you're good at, what your passions are. Because first step in nurturing your ideal client is you want to make sure that you are passionate about your ideal client. If you're picking your ideal client just to literally pick them to get on with your business and you're not really passionate about them, it's probably going to show. And I will say you are not going to like put one foot in front of the other and just build a business that gets bigger every single week. You're going to have a lot of setbacks. You're going to have a lot of things that don't go right, that don't go right. Things that actually go really wrong in business. So if you're passionate about this ideal client, that passion will keep you moving. You won't stop because you're so passionate about the work that you're doing it's very easy to stop when you are not so passionate about it. Yeah. And I think people can tell. Yeah. And and people can tell with the energy, exactly what you said. Like if they can tell you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, or you heard it's going to sell well, or, you know, somebody told you that's like the niche or the focus you should have for your business, but you're not excited about it. People will really tell the energy plays such a big role in how you're going to put your knowledge out there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I will say there's different offers for you as a business to market for your ideal client. So even before, and that's actually something that I would love to talk about. I see so many people hanging out on Instagram, creating content for their ideal client, but then like not leading them back to an offer. So before you even think about how you're going to nurture your ideal client, you should definitely have an offer in mind. So an offer could be one-on-one support, which is actually the easiest sell in my opinion. There's so many business coaches out there that are like, don't do one-on-one and don't trade time for money. But I'm like, sometimes trading time for money is actually pretty nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan too. Think you and it's agree. a good place to get started with as well when you're just totally. starting. Mm-hmm. I knew you would say that. So I think you would agree. It's, it's a perfect place to get started. It's the easiest sell. It's the easiest personalization. One-on-one is awesome. So one-on-one private practice group programs, a course, a digital download, a membership program. There are so many different offers that you can create as a business owner. And of course, that depends on you, your passion, what you're good at, and obviously to your audience, because you don't want to go out and open up a huge membership program you know, for $27 a month, I've seen this happen so many times, like $27 a month, and your audience is literally a hundred people. You're not going to make enough money. Mm-hmm. one-on-one is where it's at if that's you. But basically, you know, you want to figure out your offer before you even start to nurture your ideal client because someone that is purchasing one-on-one has different problems than someone that wants to join a group program, has different problems than someone that's just literally looking for information. Yeah, that's great. Can you even break that down a bit further? I don't know if you have that offhand that you can pull yeah. from, but just like, what would that look like? Like what would a one-on-one person need to hear versus a group person versus, you know, another oh, offer? No, it's such a good question. So for people that are looking for a one-on-one, usually those people are struggling with something that's pretty sensitive because they actually want one-on-one time and very individual personal information for their certain situation. So I see this a lot in this space of eating disorders, to be honest with you. There are amazing group programs out there for eating disorders, and there's amazing information out there for eating disorders. But a lot of people feel like, I just want this one-on-one attention on me and my situation. I want to see someone in private practice for counseling to help me through this one-on-one. Like, to help me through this one-on-one. 
So that person's typically looking for individual information. People that are looking for group programs really want other people around them. Like they are really looking for support. And I will say those people typically are the community people. I don't know if you've seen that too, but it's like Mm -hmm. the community people, like the people that love to hang out with other people that are going through similar things. And I think that there's a huge benefit in that because sometimes too, you don't even know what your questions are until you hear other people asking those questions. So people that want to join group programs usually want that community support. People that are looking for information probably have tried to look for information and have gotten confused out there. So people that sell a very specific, like my favorite example is Taylor Wolfram. I don't know if you know Taylor, but she sells a course on vegan, like vegan nutrition, Mm. but from a haze perspective, there is nothing out there. I mean, like that I know of, like there's nothing out there that basically takes the concepts of vegan nutrition and combines it with a body liberation, like health at every size lens. So Taylor created a course and she sells that. And that's like a perfect example of a wonderful course of information that just does not really exist in other places. And then people that are looking for more of a membership program, that's usually top of the tier where it's almost like you have to have a big audience to Mm -hmm. really get a lot of people and a lot of eyes on your stuff to create content every single month that people pay for reoccurringly. But you also can have that in private practice where you have packages or, you know, different parts of your offer that can be reoccurring. So it just goes back to the very beginning of what we said that every business owner can create an offer that works for them and their ideal client. Yeah, that was a great explanation. And it's so true. I think it's like marketing isn't just like you market this one way and you only say it this one way, you know, to people. There's so many, there's people that are aware of their problem. They're not aware of their problem. They know there's a solution. They don't know there's a solution. Like, you know, that's maybe getting more advanced, like marketing nitty gritty, but it's like not everybody's at the same place or needs the same thing. And I know personally, when I'm looking for a business coach, I want one-on-one. Personally, that's how I work best. Um, But when I'm doing any kind of like um, personal practice or, you know, maybe like a therapy, I would rather do it in a group because I want to hear everybody else's experience. So I think it's um, also knowing, you know, what, like understanding what you love best too, and then like trying to incorporate incorporate that into your marketing and and into your programs as well. Absolutely. Have you seen this like backlash on -on one-on-one lately? I don't know why (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of, a lot of talk around. Yeah. Well, number one, don't start with one-on-one, just go right to a group or go right to an online program and, or, um, do one-on-one for a very small amount of time and then quickly transition out. That's what I see. How about you? Yes, exactly. And I'm Mm. like, why, why? Like, Mm. like I understand maybe five, 10 years out, if you are not a relationship's type of person, meaning that like if one-on-one on on your calendar completely drains you, I can see doing other things. But I've had a lot of people in my own program, dietitian business school come and they're like, I was told I had to do a group program. I was told I had to market on Instagram. And I'm like, why, why? Mm -hmm. And it's just, we match up their strengths with what they want to do in their business. And their offer is literally screaming one-on-one do private practice. So I think you and I feel the same way. 
<laughs> oh, we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I definitely think it's a good cornerstone to start with. I yeah. think you learn so much about how to even nurture the person, nurture the lead once exactly. they're in the doors. When yeah. if you start with a group and you get maybe let's say 20 people in the door, let's hope, you know, fingers crossed. Um, that's a lot of people to manage at first. Yeah. You know, is that even something you want? And, and that actually brings up even like the price point too. I think a lot of people want to scale outside of one-on-one quickly because what I see happening is that a lot of people are underpricing their one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So they have to have 20, 30 one-on-one clients, which isn't reasonable. So that's why they need to scale to a different model. But sometimes it's looking at the foundation of what is the offer already. Yes. It's yeah. it's like back to basics. Number one, what is the price that is a boundary for you that feels good and looking at your numbers and looking at financial data and trying to take the emotion out of it as much as you possibly can. I mean, I know that that's very hard to do. So I say that knowing that it's hard, but just going back to your numbers, like what is going to be sustainable for private practice? That's a great question. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Your lifestyle and, Mm -hmm. and your energy, right. I think um, I'm sure we could both agree on that, right. You know, one-on-one practice is going to, you know, maybe work for somebody that has a certain energy capacity where somebody else, maybe another type would work. Ready to start your nutrition business but have no idea what steps you need to take? No problem. That's exactly why I've created a completely free workshop for you called Six Steps to Start Your Nutrition Biz and Sign Your First Paying Clients. In this on-demand workshop, I'm sharing my six-step roadmap to starting a successful nutrition business without a huge social media following or years of experience. I'll also share the top three mistakes I see most new nutritionists making when starting their business and how to avoid them, and the must-have tools you need to run a successful nutrition business and wow your clients from day one. Oh, and did I mention that the workshop is completely free? Sign up at stephanielong.ca slash workshop and get instant access right now. You know, if we're going to maybe focus in on like the one-on-one, just because we think, I think we agree that that's a good place to get started. (laughs) Um, what would be like a good way for people to start nurturing? So maybe they have that, that offer ready, Maybe they're using social media. Maybe they're using other platforms. What is like that nurture sequence or process look like for someone trying to fill one-on-one spots? Yes, definitely. Okay. So there, of course, are tons of ways that you can have people enter into your funnel. So if you think about a funnel as being an upside down triangle, literally the bottom part of the triangle is selling people into your offer and having them come back because they've had a great experience over and over and over again. But the top part of your funnel is literally how they are introduced to you in your business. And they go through some sort of nurture sequence where they get to know you, get to know the problems that you solve, and then they sign up for an appointment. So podcasts are great. Social media is great. Website SEO is great. Referrals are wonderful. There are so many different ways that you can get people to enter into your business and get people to enter into your funnel. And from there, your question is perfect. It's like, how do you nurture them? So I will say, I think there are three main ways. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree, but definitely let me know what you think. I think number one, email and email marketing. Mm -hmm. Number two, literally having an inquiry call. Mm. And number three, I would say social media, but I would kind of group social media into a lot of different types of channels. Like, I don't think that you have to be on, first of all, I don't think you have to be on social media, period. But Mm. then if you are on social media, the algorithms are changing all the time. So I'd probably focus on maybe one or two different platforms that you really enjoy hanging out in. But you can definitely have tons of different touch points when it comes to nurturing in those three ways. And you want to make sure that you're thinking about, okay, 
where is my ideal client right now? What are their pain points? How are they feeling? What's going on with them? Maybe what's the situation? What are the different things that are coming up for them? And why would they reach out to me in the first place? And from there, you really want to talk to them where they're at. Yeah. The thing that I see all the time is people talk to people when they're literally like five steps into their process already. And that's not reaching your ideal client. Like, what are they feeling right now? What are they going through right now when they're just entering your funnel? And do you think it also has to do with not just like speaking to where they're at, but also the language that you're using, making it accessible to them so they understand. I mean, the classic one I always see and something that kind of grinds my gears is <laughs> when instead of saying something like um, stomach acid, people will say like hydrochloric acid and they'll be using that terminology, but like your ideal client probably doesn't really understand what mm-hmm. that means. So really kind of, I hate to say it, but like dumbing it down or getting it to the level where they would really understand. Is that something that you think would help them nurture that client, that potential client? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you could even take it a step farther and maybe the copywriters out there would agree with me on this. It's like figure out what they're typing into Google when they are Mm -hmm. actually describing their problem. Um, One of the things that we see all the time is eating disorders. You know, there's a lot of people that are struggling with an eating disorder that have not been diagnosed and having a conversation about the DSM and the formal diagnosis of eating disorders is a whole entire another podcast episode, but just something is up with someone's relationship with food. So I've talked about that in terms of website copy, how we talk about that in back and forth canned responses. So it's not necessarily like we're starting the email over every single time that someone comes through the admin inbox, but basically like talking about how we help people with their relationship with food. Here's what we do best. Here's our process. Here's how we work. So we're making sure that we're nurturing them into knowing that we might, you know, be a great match for them. And if so, here's how to work with us. But if we're not the best match, we definitely can try to help you find something that really does work. Yeah. So would that mean that they're creating content that's educating based on like whether or not somebody knows that's like a, the problem that they have, or if they have that problem, they're going to create, you know, certain blog posts or social media based on like, here's what you do. Once you know, you have that problem is, are we kind of trying to create a lot of different, like, um, I don't know how to explain it, but different like entry points for people, depending on where they're at. Yeah. I, I love that idea. I would say that's probably phase two. So if you have created your, I mean, maybe three different things for lack of a better word of content that really do describe your ideal person's stuff and what's going on with them, you could definitely take it a step further and different entry points into the, into your quote unquote funnel. And this is very business language, but mm-hmm. quote into your funnel, you know, for someone that contacts you that basically says, oh, and of course I'm using eating disorders, but feel free yeah. to use your own. No, no, no. But mm-hmm. it's like someone that contacts you that has questions about intuitive eating and seems like they are very much knowledgeable about intuitive eating already. Like they've Googled health at every size. They kind of know what this philosophy is, they might get a different type of blog post to try to get them into your private practice than someone that literally contacts you and says, I want to lose weight. And there's like lots of stuff that we can go into when people say that because it's such ingrained in our society and health at every size intuitive eating non-diet dietitians know that like, we don't necessarily do weight loss, but what do we do with someone that wants to lose weight? Cause it's so normal in our society. So that person might get a different type of response than someone that already knows what's going on over here with their non-diet approach. 
Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. So what are some other ways we can nurture that ideal client? Like um, you said, email list. So what would that even look like in terms of how do you, how do you nurture somebody on your email list or how yes. do you even get them on your email list to begin with? Maybe is yes. the first, the first point we could cover. Yes. Okay. So I will say, I think the sign up for my newsletter with a box is probably dead at this point. I don't know if you agree, mm-hmm. right? Do you think agree? <laughs> yeah. It's probably dead. I mean, I think it's wonderful for friends and family and connections that you already have to send them a very personal email, colleagues that you've worked with before to say, Hey, I'm starting a business. I would love for you to sign up for my newsletter. I'm going to talk about all these different, wonderful, amazing tips. And if they already know you, they probably will sign up for your newsletter. But for the people that don't know you, they need something a little bit more valuable. So I love to think about opt-ins for people's businesses. I mean, I love business strategy so much. So I have seen everything from guides to mini courses, to videos, to like a sequence of videos. Personally, for me, I'm now with this idea of offering free CEUs to dietitians that watch Mm. my trainings to get them on my email list. And I think that is like so amazing because not only do I provide value to them in terms of like an actual workshop, a training, a free CEU, then they come into my email list and it's definitely valuable. But I think the days of sign up for my email newsletter are dead. So I think you have to have something pretty valuable. (laughs) Yeah. So you're providing this thing of value, they're signing up. And then once they're on, like, I think a lot of people work so hard to get people like signed up, but then they're like, oh, I forgot to actually email and do anything with the actual list. Yes. And there are two different things that you could do with email marketing. And I, and I don't think that you necessarily have to do one and only one. I think you could do both at the same time, but it is of overtaking. I do want to say that when I say do this, it's really easy. It's not very easy. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, but I do think it's worth it. So with your email, you could send out broadcast emails, meaning that the real-time emails to your list at a certain pace that works for you, whether it's once a month, every other week, every week, you know, I would say probably every other month is the minimum. And I don't even think I'd recommend that amount. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think I'd recommend well, that. Well, I mean, I think it's better than nothing, but people might forget you. They might be like, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot I subscribed like, to this, this person. But yeah, so you can send out, <laughs> I know you could send out broadcast emails, which is really great. Or you could set up a automatic nurture sequence, meaning that when people join your list, it's really easy that there's some sort of tag in your email marketing system that gets that email address to enter into another funnel that basically is a nurture sequence of all the different things that you could talk about to your ideal client. So there are different systems and programs of things to quote unquote say, but I would say, what are the pain points that your ideal client is going through and how can you introduce yourself to them to make them feel welcome to your practice? And the call to action is usually, if we're talking about one-on-one, book an appointment, like book Mm -hmm. a discovery call, get to know me. I'd love to get to know your situation. Here's how we're going to work together. And then you can typically set that up pretty quickly. And then anyone that joins your email list could be entered into that get to know me sequence. Yeah. So you brought up a good point of giving them that action to take. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that's like a big piece that people might nurture, 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 but they're not sending the person anywhere. They're not saying here's the next step. Yes. And I will say the other thing that I see a lot, which I'm sure you see too, are there's like 10 calls to action in someone's Mm. email. And it's like, read this blog post, check out this link. Here's this new recipe. Here's what I'm doing over here. Check out my Instagram. Here's my Facebook. And then someone's like, I don't even know where to go. So they just shut the email down. 
typically one to two calls to action is really what you want to do. And if you have 10, that's wonderful. Don't think that that's bad, but those are usually seven, eight emails that you could send Mm -hmm. someone, you know, that's definitely not one email. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're even having me think a bit about this because I was chronically so bad at sending consistent emails. Like I would do it. I'd be consistent for like a month and then I'd fall off. And I'm like, I have to find something that works for me. And I have so much content going out all the time, Yeah. but I'm, and I think people are seeing it, but I'll have people email me like, Oh, you should tell us when your blog posts or your podcasts are out. And I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't know you wanted to hear about that. So now I send weekly uh, roundup emails, but I agree that sometimes even me, this, the person sending it, I'm like, this is a lot of information for people to kind of like pers- go through yeah. and they could, it could be like, you're right, seven different emails. So I love that. Cause then that kind of gets you off of that train of like, what am I even writing? And you now have yeah. created seven different, you know, pieces of content. Yeah. Which I love. And the best advice that someone told me, which I will pass on. And I've heard this from a couple of different people. So I don't have one person to give credit to this, but not everyone sees your stuff that is actually really great advice. Like, don't think that you are bugging people when you send them a lot of emails or or on social and giving them a lot of content because chances are they're not seeing everything anyway. Only you are really the only person or maybe a parent is the only person that's reading all of your things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if they see it a second or a third time, they might just be in a better headspace to sit down and actually read that content or absorb that content. I know there's somebody that I follow online. Um, She used to be in the body positive space, Sarah Jenks. Do you know who that is? I don't know if I know her. I'm going to have to look her up now. Yeah, look her up. She's kind of switched. She does something a little bit different now, but um, she's a really good storyteller. And I never really want to read the stories on social media, but when I get an email to my inbox, I I actually take like a seat and I read it. I might get myself a cup of tea and it's such an experience for me, but I know I've seen it on social, but I didn't actually absorb it in the same way that I did when I sat down for the email. Yeah, that's that actually what you just said is so important too give people great value, you know, Mm. don't, don't just write to write, like give people something that they really look forward to opening. That is so important because in the days where we have a hundred emails, sometimes in our email inbox, make sure that people want to read your stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know I did bring up storytelling. Is that something that you recommend in the nurturing of leads, like sharing your story or using your everyday experiences to like, bring it back to what you do and make it more interesting than just like kind of spitting out facts all the time. Oh, you absolutely could. I think, what does your ideal client need? You know, what do they need? Do they need to know your story? Do they need to know what you've been through? Or do they just need to know that you get it? I think for my subject expertise, I feel like so many people that struggle with disorder eating just want to know that like the person on the other end of this relationship understands that I am going through a lot. So I think what is your ideal client need is really the answer. Yeah. And then creating the content that that's going to work best for them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had um, a recommendation, this maybe is like a trick question, but if you had a recommendation for like the best platform for someone to be on to create content, what would that be? Because I have heard you say a few times, like social, maybe you don't have to be on social media. And I think that's where people's head go, like create all the content for social. Do you have like a better strategy for where they could be spending their time? Well, actually, you know what we didn't talk about yet, which would probably be my answer. 
mm-hmm. is a sales call, is an inquiry mm-hmm. call. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually yeah. think that is the best content that you could create, meaning that like people see stuff all the time, like they see content and it's great and it's wonderful. And the purpose of that content, if we're talking about selling our stuff, is really getting that person to purchase. A lot of people that want to do one-on-one want to talk to you before they sign up for an appointment. So that is really the content, which is in quotes because it's not really content, but it's the content that I would focus on the most. Like if you, you know, I would love to work with you. Let's book an inquiry call. I would love to help you. Here's how you can work with me. You know, here are the things that I would love to talk about in our inquiry call. Here are some of the problems that my typical ideal client goes through. You know, I'm saying this in business language, but Mm -hmm. obviously you would change it for your ideal client. But I think that really is the number one thing that I would do. You know, you don't necessarily need to be on social. Mm -hmm. I think you need to be creating relationships with people that are also seeing your ideal client, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like for you. For us, typically it's like doctors, therapists, people that Mm -hmm. see other people that struggle with eating disorders, and then definitely make sure that you can get that potential ideal client on the phone to tell them how you work or on zoom or whatever you're doing, but to tell them how you work. And if they want to book an appointment. So it's almost like everything you're creating, everything you're doing, you're just remembering the point is to get someone on a discovery call. So how can Mm -hmm. I create like the perfect con or, you know, great content, good content that's going to drive them just to want to book that call and then give them that call to action at the end that says book that call. Right. So they're not, they're not having to guess. So, you know, somebody that I know does this really, really well. Um, and she doesn't necessarily say book a call, but I don't know if you've heard of rebel nutrition. Yes. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. So I know she uses that as her main platform for marketing, but she, if you really watch her content every single day, she just talks about her program and she, um, she tells people to join her free workshop or her free masterclass. Mm -hmm. So it's like everything that she's doing for marketing just drives people to watch that class, watch that class. And she's talked before about how she doesn't do discovery calls because that acts as her discovery call. So not that I would say everybody should go out and create a workshop or masterclass that acts as your discovery call. Cause I think in a one-on-one setting, you really do need someone to talk with you, but yeah. And mm -hmm. I would also say, how big is your audience? Because I think it, I don't know when this happened for me, but I think it was maybe when I had uh, maybe two associates at my private practice. And then I had three and now I'm back to two, but basically we just got to the point where we were having too many discovery calls and it wasn't necessarily worth it anymore because we didn't have those slots to fill. And then we just switched to email can responses, knowing that we were going to convert less people, but also knowing that we just didn't have the time in our calendars to have all of these discovery calls. And we had a ton of referral sources that we could send people to Mm -hmm. because I had a lot of people in dietitian business school that like literally we would just pass on the referrals. So that was a time too, where I was like, let me evaluate how much time this is taking versus what's, what it's literally costing us. But you know, there's no right answer. It really is like, what's right for you. Yeah. And another point you brought up is, um, like if it's taking you a lot of time and you're answering a lot of questions on a discovery call, can you create um, content and nurture your ideal client beforehand with those frequently asked questions? So if you know that they're going to have potential objections to cost or time or how much energy this is going to be, or I'm going to have to buy a million supplements or whatever it might be. Can you speak to that beforehand so that your discovery calls don't become necessarily about like all of these questions, but more about, is this the right fit for them? And I'm really like seeing if you um, jive together 
Yeah. That is, that is such a good point. There are so many opportunities, like you said, to like, make sure that we handle those objections, which thank goodness that our people have objections because that's actually a very normal thing. You know, that's a good, that's a good sign. Yeah. That means they're interested in your program. So how can we really create, it's exactly what you said. How can you create content that really speaks to those things? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So just to kind of bring things together. So we're maybe using social media and, um, or maybe we're using our blogs or whatever type of platform to, you know, drive people to our email list. And then we're really using lots of call to actions to get them on the phone, to have this conversation, to move them into working with us. Now I'd love to talk for like a minute or two, like how important is it once somebody is a client to kind of continue nurturing them as if they're still like kind of an ideal client. I mean, if that so makes any important. sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So important. So important. So again, this goes back to your offer. And again, one-on-one's the easiest because one-on-one you're literally seeing that person all the time because you're having a one-on-one relationship with them. So that actually might not even be worth going over, but just making sure that you are continuing to talk about how hard the nutrition counseling process can be for a lot of people. Cause that's sometimes the mistake that we see in supervision with people saying, Oh my gosh, well, people say, you know, they had, they did great after one session and then they're not coming back. It's like people need a lot of support, yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically <laughs> one-on-one is kind of the easiest, but nurturing people in a course, a program, some sort of digital download. How many times have we bought something and then we don't hear from that creator. And then like two months later, we get random emails from them about their nurture sequence. I mean, I'm so, so guilty of that myself. Mm -hmm. And I've, it's happened to me a lot. We want to make sure that we set up a relationship. Like just because someone bought something once from you does not mean that that's the end of the road. We want to make sure that they are well taken care of. You get feedback about whatever they got from you. You get, you implement changes based on what your ideal client has said. You can set up nurture sequences. Again, this is a little advanced, but you can set up nurture sequences within your email marketing provider for different funnels when people purchase things from you, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. It's like check-ins about how it's going with this thing. Do you have any questions? It really sets up such great customer service. And again, even the objections that you had said, like making sure people can handle those objections, like once they're in your thing, they probably still have questions and objections Mm -hmm. about the work that's happening within that space can you handle that for them? And that's just great customer service. And they'll come back over and over again, if they're having a good experience. Yeah. Or like you've mentioned a lot, like refer others. Right. And I think something people are always like, how do I get more nutrition clients? Well, referrals is a great tool, word of mouth. You know, if this is past clients or other practitioners that are working and, and see how you're really that great practitioner taking care of your clients. Um, I think that's, you know, we put so much attention on like the marketing to get someone in the door. And then sometimes we forget to even like care for the person once they're in. Oh, a hundred percent. That is, that is legit a problem in business, but it's something that you can definitely work on, you know? And I would say your P it's so much easier to have. Well, I I should say, what's, what's the answer. Is it easier to have a hundred new clients or 10 clients that come back 10 times? Mm. It is so much easier to have 10 clients. (laughs) So much easier. So, you know, putting work into that usually pays off tenfold. We'll just say as the example. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. It's just so nice too. And I feel like what the conversation we're having today is like, it feels more authentic marketing and it's like more relationship marketing, what we're talking about. It's not like, how can you direct message? And I would never do this. I never recommend this. I I kind of assume you wouldn't either, but you know, how could you DM a hundred people every day to get a client? It's like, those are going to exhaust you and burn you out. And they're not 
really serving that person the best that you could be. It's all about, yeah, really just nurturing and knowing that if that person doesn't sign up this month, that doesn't mean they may not sign up in three months from now and just continuing to nurture people over and over. So yeah, such great information you shared. Is there, are there any like last minute kind of nurture tips that you maybe share in your programs or with your clients or anything that you could think of? Yes. Well, especially in the field of eating disorders, this is probably true across the board for every single specialty, but people come back. People might do well for a certain period of time, end the relationship. Maybe they are, they think they're doing amazing and you know they're not going to see you again, but it's very normal for people to struggle with ups and downs. I mean, it's just like business. We, as business owners, we go through ups and downs all the time where time where we need support, times where we don't need support, times where we need like a ton of of handholding other times where we don't, your clients are the same way. So if you have a broadcast email marketing system where you send out real time broadcast emails, ask your past clients if they want to join, and then you can keep in touch with them every so often, even if it's once a month, you know, that you are here and you are available. And that definitely is my best tip. If you're going to do something with email marketing and nurturing, like, don't forget about your old clients. Yeah, I know in the past um I've done this where it's like I have like a new program I've come up come up with that I'm sharing with like my current clients like they you know they book in for one on one they also get XYZ program. Sometimes I'll even email old clients and say I'm gifting this to you and yeah. I think it's just a nice way to you know, just keep the relationship going. And, you know, once somebody's come in the doors, you know, really valuing that you want them to come back, you want them to stay. Yes, yeah. exactly. Great tips. Oh, thank you so much. This was so fun. And I feel like we could talk for hours about many different things. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll have to have you on again to talk about something else to do with um, nutrition business support, because I feel like you have so much in your vault that you could share. But in the meantime, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you and anything that you want to plug? Yes. So pursuingprivatepractice.com is really where it's at. We have two free resources. If you are just starting a business, we have it will be a free CEU soon. We're working on that right now. We have a roadmap to like literally how to start your business. And then we also have another, another mini, you know, another free CEU to how to build a business, which is really awesome. We have two paid programs, beginner basics and dietitian business school. So beginner basics is really all about starting your nutrition business. Dietitian business school is for people that are building their business, starting, growing, scaling, coasting are the different Mm -hmm. stages of business that we teach. Yes. Coasting Mm -hmm. is the one that everyone always wants to talk about. How do I coast in my business? (laughs) Which is awesome. So you can find out all the details at pursuingprivatepractice.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure that I put everything in the show notes for everybody to grab. And that all sounds really amazing. So thank you for sharing and definitely recommend listening to your podcast too. And yeah, definitely learning from you there. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, feel free to leave us a review, share the episode with a friend or take us on social media. Catch you next time.